Today's reading will be from Matthew 7, verse 7 to 14. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you know then, though you are evil, know how much good gifts to your child know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for white for wide as is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But as small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. It's a short passage, it's just six verses, but it contains a number of different elements. Firstly, we have a threefold instruction, and the consequence that follows on from that instruction. Secondly, we have a scene-setting illustration. And thirdly, there is a final instruction, which I have to say, when I first read it, seemed a little disconnected from what went before. But I hope that we will learn or understand that that actually isn't truly the case. We'll see what the connection is as we move through this. So Jesus starts this, in this passage and he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He's saying the same thing here in three different forms. And the purpose of the repetition is to highlight the importance of it. So when we see the same message coming through in the different ways, then what Jesus is doing is the same as many teachers will do. He's trying to get the point across, but he says it in different ways. It says it several times over so that the message is taken away. And it's not just in this context he does that. He does it regularly in other contexts too. So, for example, he teaches about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Three parables with the same theme, communicating the same message, but repeating it several times over to highlight it. So when he repeats this, we are to take that away as being of great importance. And he rephrases it for impact so that we are not just getting the same thing, but a slightly different thing that makes us think differently about it. And the phrasing is also significant because it isn't an optional phrasing. What Jesus says here is ask, seek, knock. When I read this, I have a tendency to insert the little word if, and I suspect that may be the case for everybody else too, that we think of if, which makes this an option rather than a mandated thing. It's a direct instruction, it's not an optional extra. But along with that, there is a guaranteed response. And the other thing that's there in the phrasing that isn't so obvious to us as we read the English, is that it's actually a continuous phrase. So the message isn't meant to read 
ask, seek, knock, but rather ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. So as we read this passage and we think about it, it is teaching us about praying and it is telling us that prayer is mandated. Prayer is an obligation. It's a necessity. It's not an optional extra. And prayer is something that we need to persevere in, to persist with. There is a guaranteed response. Now that then raises questions. And the main question it raises to me is, are the promises here a blank check? Are they guaranteeing anything that we ask for or seek for is actually granted? Or is there a context? Is there something that we need to be looking at that, and, and applying here that tells us what is really being said? What are we to be asking for? What are we to be seeking for? Where are we meant to be knocking? And it's not actually spelled out in the actual verse, but I think if we look at the wider context, the context provides clues there. And there's a number of different elements of context we can look at. Firstly, the big context of Matthew's gospel. Secondly, more specifically, the Sermon on the Mount. And this teaching is an integral part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the midst of it. And therefore, we need to understand that what Jesus is saying here is part of the big message of the Sermon on the Mount. But he has also granted us a small illustration to highlight what he means by the ask, seek, knock message. And so we can look at that for context. And also when Jesus teaches, there are four reports because there are four gospels. Not everything is reported in every gospel, but when it's reported more than once, we can usually find that there is further illumination in other reports. And so we will also look at Luke's report of this teaching and see what that adds. So we'll look at each of these in turn. So firstly, the Gospel of Matthew. Now to Matthew, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament is about. And he highlights that repeatedly through his Gospel. To him, Jesus is the Messianic King. He is ushering in the Kingdom of Heaven. And the kingdom of heaven theme is something that is repeated throughout the Gospel of Matthew. There's over 30 references to it, and it's very explicitly mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount with several references directly in this, these three chapters of the sermon. To Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has got two elements to it. And we know that there's a future promise of everything being restored, renewed. In Revelation, he says, behold, I make all things new. There's a new heaven and a new earth. A little bit later in Matthew, he makes reference to a time at the renewal of all things. And that is a future promise of the kingdom of heaven coming to fulfillment. But there's also a present day reality. The kingdom of heaven is here in here and now in our present day living for that kingdom. 
And it's in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus actually spells out a lot of what that presently living is meant to look like. If you like, the Sermon on the Mount is his manifesto for current kingdom living. The Sermon on the Mount itself has a number of different elements to it. And each of these elements is integral to the whole. So the passage we've just read, where Jesus says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. That is an integral part of the sermon, but we need to look at what has gone before as we seek to understand what this passage is telling us. So the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, which talk about our relation to God and to man. And I think it's helpful to actually look at what John Stott says about that, because he summarizes that very nicely and tells us what these Beatitudes are telling us and how they apply. And I'd just like to read a little passage from his book. So John Stott talks about the Beatitudes and he says, the first four Beatitudes reveal a spiritual progression of relentless logic. Each step leads to the next and presupposes the one that went before. To begin with, we are to be poor in spirit. That means acknowledging our complete and utter spiritual bankruptcy before God. Recognizing that there's nothing that we can bring before him to commend ourselves to him. Next, we are to mourn over the cause of that, which is our sins and our sin, the corruption of our fallen nature. Recognizing that we do not meet God's standards and mourning over that. Thirdly, we are to be meek and humble and gentle towards each other, allowing our spiritual poverty, admitted and bewailed, to condition our behaviour to them as well as to God. And fourthly, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what is the use of confessing and lamenting our sin, of acknowledging the truth about ourselves, if we leave it there? Confession of sin must lead to hunger for righteousness. In the second half of the Beatitudes, we turn more from our attitude to God to our attitude to fellow human beings. The merciful show mercy to men and peacemakers seek to reconcile men to each other. Those who are persecuted are persecuted by men and the insincerity denoted by being, sorry, the sincerity denoted by being pure in heart concerns our attitude in relation to our fellow human beings. So the Beatitudes sum up this, the relation that we are to have with God and man. They're applications of kingdom living and kingdom reality, but they challenge our priorities both in relationship to God and to others. Sermon on the Mount brings repeated contrast between kingdom living and our own natural behavior. And it highlights the fact that what we are like naturally is actually not consistent with what God requires and what Jesus is asking for us in the, King, in the Sermon on the Mount. In order to be able to live the kingdom living that is spelt out here, we actually need to be transformed. And that's what Paul refers to in Romans chapter 12, 
where he says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But that transformation is not something that we do or we generate. It is a process that we need to seek and submit to, but it's a process, a transformation that comes from God. So if we think about all of that, we realize that the kingdom of God is here and now. There's a kingdom living, a kingdom lifestyle that we are called to, and that requires a transformation of what our natural self is like. And it is in this, that context that the ask and seek and knock is actually set. And that therefore informs what asking, seeking and knocking should be about. Now, the second context is this little illustration that Jesus gives us in verses nine and 10, where he says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So your father in heaven is perfect. So will so much more give good gifts to you. So that's his message. And this illustration tells us, firstly, that the context is a family relationship. It's a father and son, or in terms of us and God, it is an active relationship when we are children of God. But we are actually prevented from being children of God because of what Jesus actually says there, you who are evil. And we tend to take that word evil and we apply it to truly exceptional individuals, people who are under, who perpetrate the most horrendous of terrorist crimes, awful mass murderers, individuals like Joseph Mengele, etc. And that's because we like to say that we are different and the evil people are a small exception. But in reality, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible's message is that all are evil because evil in the Bible is basically putting self first and rebellion against God. And the only way that that can be changed is by regeneration or as we referred to that transformation that comes from God. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about, what the Beatitudes are talking about at the beginning. In contrast, our Father in heaven is perfect, and he makes us perfect by regeneration if we come to him and gives good gifts. So the good gifts are again are what this we have to be asking for, but it is in this context of acknowledging that we who are evil need to be regenerated and that's further um, expanded if you actually look at what Luke says in his report on all of this so in the gospel of Luke chapter 11 verse 13 the rest of the story is much the same but Jesus says how much more will your father in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him so Luke expands and he explains that the primary good gift is the gift of the Spirit. And the function of the Spirit, the Spirit's purpose in our lives, is to transform and regenerate us. 
So as we look at the context in which these verses are written, we realize that the good gifts relate to kingdom living, relates to the Holy Spirit, that transformation is essential. And these are the things that we need to be asking, seeking, knocking, looking for, praying for. And that is an ongoing and continuous process because we do, do not arrive until the renewal of all things that Jesus talks about. There is a process in the interim of being perfected, being made perfect, being transformed. It's not a one-off static event. And that's why continuing prayer is essential. So I think looking at the context helps us to understand what Jesus is talking about when he tells us to ask and seek and knock. But there are also potential errors when we first read these verses. One of those errors is the error of claiming these verses as a blank check for our every material or physical or personal whim. And you'll find that there will be individuals who will actually take these verses and use them for exactly that purpose. But I believe that is wrong. And the reasons for saying that are firstly, the example of Jesus, and secondly, the rest of his teaching in this sermon. If we think firstly of the example, immediately prior to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew reports in chapter four about Jesus' temptation. And in that passage, Jesus did not prioritize his physical needs or status or comfort, celebrity, wealth, security, or power. It's none of this that he prioritizes. What he prioritizes is his relationship with God. He says, man will not live by bread alone. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God and him only. That's the focus, not these other things. So that's his example. And then when we look at the rest of his teaching, the whole of the Sermon of the Mount is actually focusing on our relationship with God and how that applies in the outworking of how we relate to our fellow man. But we looked just in recent weeks at a couple of other passages that actually highlight this point. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But money in that context applies perhaps to all of the physical and personal security and comfort. So we have to prioritize, and Jesus prioritizes God over the physical. And a little later in Matthew 7, in Matthew 6, again, when Jesus has been talking about our anxieties, about our physical needs, whether it be food or clothing or shelter or whatever, the things that we worry about on a day-to-day -day basis, Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
So Jesus prioritizes these things. So both his teaching and example prioritize God's our relationship with God and how that works out in our relationship with other people. So the second error is a perhaps thinking that God needs to be persuaded, that he's reluctant to answer our prayers. John Stott says that the question is not whether God is ready to give, but rather whether we are ready to receive. And he expands on that and he tells us that prayer is the way God has chosen for us to express our conscious need of him and our humble dependence on him. So that, I think, answers this idea of thinking that God is to be reluctantly persuaded. And it puts it in the context of the rest of this Sermon in the Mount. So having considered the context of the request or command to ask and seek and knock, examined that little illustration that Jesus gives, recognizing the need for transformation and regeneration in order to be able to actually live out the Sermon on the Mount. We now come to this little phrase or, that is described as the golden rule, to do to others what you would have them do to you. Or as Jesus phrases it elsewhere or picks up from the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. But actually, this is not natural behavior. And so, so to see that transformation, so to see that in practice requires a transformation of our own natural beings, our own selfish nature. And that then illustrates a little bit more what the purpose of the asking, seeking and knocking should be, what it should be focusing on. Our prayer should focus on our position before God and our relationships with other people. And the asking and seeking and knocking should focus on seeking that we should be transformed in those relationships. And if we recognize that, we then realize that this golden rule, if that's worked out in practice, it actually becomes evidence of the answer to these prayers. So suddenly, seems to me that that actually makes fits in nicely with what's gone before once we understand the context of what asking and seeking and knocking is to be all about. So how do we apply all of this? Jesus repeatedly instructs us to pray. It's not an optional extra, it's a clear instruction. We are to pray continuously and to persevere in that prayer. And the content of our prayer should be reflected by what he's taught in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. There should be an acknowledgement of our dependence on him for both forgiveness and transformation. A persistent desire for the reality of his kingdom to grow in our lives. A hunger and thirst for righteousness. And prayer should be both for ourselves individually and also for each other in God's church and God's kingdom community. We were taught earlier in the Sermon on the Mount to pray, to pray to God that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And that should be specifically applied to our daily lives, our values, priorities, words and actions, that we might actually see his kingdom come in our lives. But that actually isn't what our day-to-day -day prayers are often like. If we actually look at Paul's epistles, we find that he has got plenty of examples of how he prayed for other people and churches. And if we look at those, we find that actually there are good examples there of what the focus should be. We're going to finish with one of them, with these verses here, Ephesians 1, 16 to 18, Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, Philippians 1, 9 to 11. These are just some of them. But it's actually a useful exercise to go through each of Paul's epistles and look for his prayers and see what we can learn from them, what the focus is. So before we finish, we're going to finish sharing a prayer of, of Paul. But I would like to just say that it's easy to talk about this. But I know when I look at this and read about this and actually started to hopefully understand a little more of what's being said there. I realize this speaks to me. And I realize that what it actually says to me about my prayer life is that I personally miss on the imperative to be actually doing this, this instruction. I miss out on that pers perseverance that is required. And I miss the point a bit about the focus as well. Too inclined to take the ask, seek, knock, as though it's got the if before it. Too inclined to take it as though it's just a one-off when I do pay attention. And too inclined to focus on the wrong things. So I think looking at this has helped me, it's taught me things. And I hope that it's been of help to others too. But let's finish with the prayer of Paul. Pray this prayer for each other. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your word. And we pray for ourselves, for each other. We pray, Lord, that your love might abound more and more in our hearts. And that we might know you more and greater knowledge and depth of insight of you. That we might be able to discern what is best. And that we might be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, that we might be filled with righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and that our lives might be to your praise and your glory. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.